Blog Talk Radio. With me today, I have a Brookings Institution fellow, John Hudak, who is a voice that we've used quite a bit on this issue. He's very poignant in his thought process about uh, guns. John, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me back. So, John, let's talk about New Zealand, I guess, and the Prime Minister and her actions. It's so different from the reaction here. Why is there such a polar opposite reaction with the government in New Zealand versus here, first of all? Well, first off, in New Zealand, you don't have a culture that in some areas is just constructed around guns. And it doesn't, uh, in New Zealand, create that sort of scenario that we have here in the United States where there's this idea of an entitlement to any type of weapon in any type of circumstance under any type of circumstances. And I think because of that, it creates this uh, greater shock and this greater call for some kind of solution and a meaningful call for a solution that we just don't have here. Hmm. So the right to bear arms is not uh, something that um, is is a call to action there like it is here. You know, the Second Amendment here, they don't have that there. Exactly. You know, there's this um, near obsession in the United States, um, at least among some, over uh, this, this right and that this idea that the right um, cannot be checked. You know, in this country, we have expectations that the First Amendment, um, right to free speech and peaceful assembly, um, that there are limits on that. We understand that there are limits on a variety of rights that we have. But for some, and and culturally driven by organizations like the NRA, that there is this idea that any infringement, any check, any limitation on an unlimited right to bear arms uh, is this uh, almost uh, intervention with the divine. This is coming between the right that God has granted you uh, and your ability to exercise it. That doesn't exist that way in New Zealand. Well, tell me this. So New Zealand is not alone. Um, You have other countries uh, around the world who don't really uh, have this gun issue. Could you talk to us about some of the other countries that, um, you know, they, they, I guess they, because I think I was in Switzerland. I know it was in Switzerland. You know, they were talking about when, you know, they have guns, but it's no big call to action, as you say, and, and, and it's meant, the guns are meant in case, basically, of some kind of war or unrest. Is that true? You know, the different uh, expectations and different beliefs around guns vary from uh, place to place around the world. There are certainly places that uh, see the ownership of guns as something used primarily for sport. Um, there are certainly areas, both both peaceful places and uh, war-torn places where um, the understanding of guns is for uh, serious personal protection, whether that's from an invading army, whether it's from civil unrest or what have you. Um, But generally, around the world, uh, guns are rare. Um, They are not expected to be part of uh, common society, and there is an expectation that they are used for Uh, proper purposes by proper professionals. That isn't the case in the United States, but around the world that tends to be more the case. So in the United States, there was just recently um, a a bill 
that passed in the House, which people were surprised. Talk to me about that. Um, you know, we haven't seen gun control legislation. What does that do in a long time? I mean, you know, we, we continue to talk about gun control, gun control, but there has been some, some kind of curb uh, on guns, uh, assault weapons recently. Talk to me about that. The um, legislation that passed the House, H.R. 8, um, was an expansion of background checks for transactions around guns. It tries to close off loopholes over, over who is subject to a background check given the nature of the transaction. So it extends those background checks uh, to private transactions, for instance, online transactions, um, sales at gun shows, and, and that is an important way uh, to close off avenues that individuals might have uh, to accessing guns uh, when they should not be. Now, it's, of course, not to say that HRA solves the challenges uh, that exist in this country. There are plenty of people who commit crimes, either large-scale shootings or what is, uh, you know, the, the type of violence that claims far more lives in the United States, and that's interpersonal violence, especially domestic violence involving a gun. Um, they purchase those in legal ways. But what HRA tries to do is tries to close off avenues, tries to stop people from having certain means of access without claiming to solve the entire gun violence problem in uh, the country. And universal background checks are something that are nearly universally supported among the American public. Well, this has been an issue for a very long time because I was hearing uh, these issues as it relates to uh, the gun shows and things of that nature. Um, how big is this loophole issue? You know, the loophole issue is uh, significant. Uh, there are uh, quite a few guns that are purchased at uh, gun shows. Uh, there are a lot of other types of private transactions for firearms. And the problem is not simply who is purchasing the gun, but the purpose for which they are purchasing the gun. Uh, when you're not having background checks, uh, you can allow um, a variety of people who either want to use firearms directly um, or who want to then peddle firearms illegally uh, to do so. And I think in our society, people who want to commit gun violence are going to find ways to commit gun violence. And... Uh, simply having background checks is not a solution. But any way that we can make it harder for individuals who want to commit acts of violence to do so gives police more time to uh, find them. It gives family members or friends more time to, uh, you know, call the police and say, I, I think I, ha I know someone who's looking to commit an act of violence. Uh, and while we have a gun violence epidemic in the United States, um, I think one of the uh, understated uh, actions that happens here are people preventing gun violence because they are seeing online or they're listening within their family what people are talking about. And when you have people like that, if you have one extra day or two extra days to prevent that, that can be a good thing. Mm -hmm. So as it relates to the gun situation and the legislation that just happened, um, do you expect the Senate to pass it and the president could possibly, if it does, the president could have a second veto, correct? Uh, I do not think the Senate is going to pass this legislation. Um, anything that uh, has to do with a uh, the 
uh, gun control in this country uh, is something that the Republican Party is allergic to. Uh, I don't see Mitch McConnell bringing something up for a vote, particularly um, as he enters re-election next year in Kentucky. Uh, This is something that is likely dead on arrival in the Senate, even if it could get a majority of support within the Senate. Mm-hmm. Wow. So at the, at the end of the day, where are we um, with this president, the NRA, and the Republicans on the Hill as it relates to gun control? Well, this president Republic, and Republicans on the um, Hill are wholly owned subsidiaries of the NRA. It's as simple as that. What the NRA wants, um, this president and uh, this Republican Senate and other Republicans in Congress will do. Um, the threat that Republicans perceive the NRA playing uh, in Republican Party politics is too overwhelming to allow Republican uh, representatives to respond to the public will. What happened to that debate? You know, after we the Parkland issue, what happened to that that debate about teachers in the schoolhouse carrying guns? I mean, that is just you can't police with that. You can't. It's just a crazy thing. Where are we with that that, that proposal? That proposal is dead in the water as well. You know, I think um, we expect a lot out of our teachers. Um, We don't pay our teachers enough. We expect teachers to educate and babysit and discipline and be psychologists and social workers and do a lot of things uh, without having the respect in some places even to pay them a living wage. But when we then ask them to be police officers and first responders, um, I think for most that's a bridge too far. And and frankly, um, you know, I think all of us uh, can think back to our days in school and know uh, one or two or a handful of teachers who would be the last people on earth you would want to have a gun in a classroom. Uh, And I think when you have a rigorous uh, training regimen for most other professionals in our society who are charged with carrying a firearm, why you would then extend that um, to the classroom uh, is something that is very difficult for a lot of people to understand. So at the end of the day, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, what does the issue of guns in your opinion look like versus uh, the rest of the world and will it get worse before it gets better? In the United States we we have some evidence that uh, there will be stronger gun control in the future when we simply look at opinions about gun control uh, based on age demographics. Uh, Older people are more supportive of you know, an an essentially unfettered right to bear arms, and younger people are much more vocal about supporting not just universal background checks, but more extensive uh, types of gun control. Now, people can change their mind over time, uh, and what millennials think now may be different than what millennials think in 20 years, Uh, but I think that the future would suggest uh, that, or I mean, it would those numbers would suggest that the future has in store uh, some level of increased gun control. Um, Increased gun control. It only takes people with a heart for it to make it happen, though, however. That's right. Yeah, and the question is, where is the heart right now? Um, (laughs) Where is the heart? And, I mean, this is something that's not...
Stanley Cup Finals tonight. Montreal is that Vegas? That's gonna be interesting because it's a contrast of styles. Contrast of styles with Vegas, the stingy defense, Montreal's best offense. I think Vegas will take this in five. It all depends on Goldie Gary Price of the Montreal's hands. Gary Price could be the difference of this match. And really because the Canadians have old Eli Ducks, Corey Perry, and Red Wing. He's very good. He's old, but he's good. Eric Dahl, and my man, Nick Suzuki, as center. Montreal could be a pain in the Vegas butt, but the Vegas Knights could be the first major team to win Stanley Cup in three years. Nobody did that. The earliest a major team had done this was the Philadelphia Flyers. Of the 70s. And it took them, I think, seven, six to seven years to do it. Because they were born in 68. Yeah, it was seven, six years. They was six years. This is the Golden Knights' third, fourth year. And they could win the Stanley Cup in four years. They have great, great uh, uh, offense. Uh, Mark Stone, uh, Bagaretti. You had to watch Bagaretti. Bagaretti. John DeMarcus-Show. Those are three guys you had to watch for the offense. And my man, I got, I got to give up head here. Brother, brother, uh, brother, um, oh, I got to get this. Ryan Reeves. Brother Reeves. Uh, brother Reeves is the enforcer. And we had, we had not had an enforcer for many, many years. He's the old style enforcer from the NHL. Of course, Mark. Andre Fleury. Now, for you guys who don't know hockey, Mark Andre Fleury was with the Stanley Cup Pittsburgh Penguins. Mark Andre Fleury is four wins away from New Jersey's Martin Brodeur. Martin Brodeur was Four Stanley Cups. This would be Mark Andre Fleury's fourth Stanley Cup if he wins with the Vegas Golden Knights. We will see tonight at 
three more hours. And they're making it these weird times because they're making it for TV time. I'm getting kind of annoyed with that because, because in the old days, you play when it was scheduled and you had to worry about TV time. Well, we do now. So that's the NHL report. I hope you like it. I'm picking Vegas at five. And my Islanders at six. And by the way, the Islanders might overtake the city of New York again, as they did back in the 70s when they won four in a row. It's a good team. I, I, I like this team because they're so versatile. The New York Islanders have won one of these um, different offers I've ever seen in a while. And their coach, their coach, um, Game on the Washington Capitals have installed the Capitals office in New York. It went really well, defensively. Simon Balamov has stabilized the defense. Corey Snyder was supposed to be starting goalie, but Malarov has taken over and did a good job. As he did a good job. Cal Cutterbrook, the guy you need to watch, Josh Berry, and John Gabriel Baggio. These are the offensive guns of the New York Islanders. Sebastian Ajo, who was traded from the Carolina Hurricane. I don't know why the Hurricane gave him up. He gave up a good player, too. So I'm picking the Islanders over Tampa Bay. It'll probably be in six. It'll be a good series. Very good series. All right, well, we just think if I could get this right. Oh, uh, no, he's still playing. Okay, move on to basketball. The 70 figures against the Atlanta Hawks. I know you guys have seen a couple of the games. It's 2 to 1, Philadelphia. And this could be the swing game. What I mean is this. Ben Simmons could put a foot down on the Illinois. I I really don't believe that the Illinois have enough firepower to beat the Sixers. There's too many people on the bench. On Philadelphia, you beat Atlanta's bench. And this 
Now, can you imagine Josh Gibson 
passed away, I think, five years later. Never played in the major leagues. And he should have. Larry Doby was the American League versus African-American. Larry Larry Doby was was opposite of Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson was a chatterbox. Larry Doby was not. The people didn't know what Larry Doby was thinking. But this is baseball. Baseball has had a race problem for decades. And we all know back in the 1960s, between the 60s and 70s, the black participation in Major League Baseball reached an all-time high of 29 to 30%. You ain't going to see that today. Today's current black enrollment of Major League Baseball is 8%. You have three teams who have only zero players. Zero, that's right, zero. Four years ago, the Houston Astros has zero. We'll get the address later. This is cheating the African American baseball band. What I mean is this. Little black boys and little black girls would like to see Willie Bates. Hank Aaron. Dusty Baker. Etc. 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 You not gonna see that today. Because major league baseball is not interesting. They rather have you see uh, Mr. Trout from LA. They rather you see Bryce Harper from Philadelphia. They rather you see Jacob the Groom the New York Yankees. Oh yeah, yeah, there's black players in the league. Mookie Betts, of the Dodgers. Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees. Andrew McCutcheon of Philadelphia Phillies. But they're far between. Now, folks, you have to pass down from father to son. Hmm? We may be seeing the last father and son, black father and son, in baseball. Charlie Hayes, first baseball for the police. But his son, 
real. This is real deal. And don't give me letter about baseball. African American participation. They are still punishing the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Kansas City Royals. Why these two teams? I'm gonna tell you why. The Pirates were building an all black team in the seventies with the help of the black Latino players. And the Royals were playing like the old Negro League. Why are we playing like the old Negro League? The old Negro League, you buy the red over. You sacrifice the guy in the dirt, or you you got to move to the dirt, and you sacrifice him home. That's the old Negro League of baseball. You ran, you stole bases. You put pressure on the on the defense of the other team. Major League Baseball has forgotten about that. Major League Baseball doesn't care about that. It's a home run or a strikeout. You know that we had seven, seven no hitters already. Seven no hitters. It's June 14th. In a hundred years, we'll have seven, seven no hitters in a complete season twice. It's June. That's because they're doctoring the ball. You talk all you want to. Yeah, you want to. They're playing with the ball. Now, I don't know how you guys feel about Pete Rose. But Pete Rose being a Hall of Fame. Pete Rose was executed from baseball. Now, why would you exclude a player after you begin with FanDuel and drinking? Now, as you know, FanDuel and drinking are betting companies. So, mainly baseball better get it out of order. You are in bed with Vandal and Dragging. And yet you won't let Pete Rose into the Hall of Fame. Come on, man. You can do better than this. You can do better than this. I see, I've been after baseball for the past 20 years. I've been after them. And the way they treated African Americans. The way they treated Barry Bonds and 
a hundred years of cheating. When does it end? Well, you had Jay Allen, who died in a playoff. This is how crazy this is. You had a playoff game in New York. And the pitcher is cheating on the mound on National TV. Come on, man. And the commissioner of baseball, Barton Giamatti, is, is there seeing this in person. Well, we're doing it again. Last week, New York Yankee, Gary Cohn, was exited the game for chemical substance on the baseball. Now, baseball is trying to dance all around, making it non-serious, but it is serious. It's part of the culture. It's part of the culture. Bill Negro. I remember Bill Negro back when I raised. Bill Negro made a commercial about this. He thought it was funny. He's not funny anymore. Baseball needs to clean out. Baseball needs to clean out. George Brett. Remember that Yankee Stadium? He is a home run. He gets run out of the game for five stars. Everybody knows the rules. You can't do five stars above, above the zero on the back. He did anyway. Because baseball is cheating. That's cheating. Sammy Sosa, I love you, Sammy, but you go get a bat. Go get a bat. And Lord, you remember the summer of love with Sosa and McGuire. You know, home runs. Everybody thought it was cool. Until Barry Lamar Bosch stepped up. And this is what Barry Lamar Bosch did. Barry Lamar Bosch said, look, I'm better than both of you guys. I'm going to prove it to you. He did exactly that. Barry Lamar Bosch 
Praise God. This man did. Went right back playing the Milwaukee Brewers. Nobody says a word. Barry Bonds tried to get back into baseball, and he couldn't do it. Nobody was done him as a free agent. Now, let's imagine. Imagine Barry Bonds played those three years. The three years that he was out. How many home runs did Barry Bonds would have got in those three years? Huh? What baseball was saying was, how dare you, how dare you subvert our rules and break our records? Mary Lamar Vaz paid the ultimate price three years out of baseball. That's what he did. So baseball continues to play games. With the current New York Yankee baseball, greaseball issue, they don't want to face it. I haven't even started about the use of the Astros thing. The Astros have been banned for two years. Banned from baseball for two years to do what they did. Now I know as a little league, we all as a little league, and the, and the coach will tell one of the players, watch the first base coach. Tell the other player, watch the third base coach, and watch when they're signed. If you pick up the signs, you tell me what they are. We we all do that little thing. But they used the Astro took it one step further. They put a video camera around the outfield, and trash can in a locker room, and her, uh, uh, um, Dugout. He would bang the trash can. He alert the hitter. It was a curveball, fastball, breaking ball, slider. Astros won the World Series. Astros need to make it run. Baseball catches them. Finds them five million dollars. The limit. Spends the owner for a year. And the manager for another year. What do you see? It's 2021 now. Baseball moves on. Dusty Baker is now a manager of the Houston Astros. AJ is fired. 
other casualties and all of these are people of color, by the way, except Bridge and the owner knew now the two other coaches, Alex Cora, who became the Boston Red Sox manager, and Carlos Beltran, who became the New York Mets manager, both of them were fined and suspended. Both of them were members of the Youth Astros coaches staff at the time of the of the incident. Both are Latino. You tell me. I made wild issues. Like I said before, dry guys are off the charts. Banning averages have dropped to the low level of 1969. And we all know what they did that year. They lowered the mountains. Bob Gibson. Mowing down people. We haven't seen a 1.0 whatever ERA it was back then, and now we're seeing it again. With Jacob, Jacob the groom of the New York Mets. The lowest ERA is in decades. Well, guess what? I got something for Wednesday baseball to think about. How about this? The players didn't run. Each the players deal bases. How about sacrifice flies? This is basic baseball, and they're not doing it. And the game is losing because of this. Baseball fans want to see diversity. Baseball fans want to see strategy. And mainly baseball, give me a break. Stop the cheating. And my editorial uh basically baseball. I'll tell you I I will be I will go after them until they change their ways. I will go after them until they change their style. I'ma tell you what folks. If they don't be careful, basically baseball will be surpassed. Soccer and hockey. I'm telling you now, it's, it's happening. Major League Soccer and Major League Hockey are passing baseball because baseball refuses to do the right thing. You have ESPN, and this is the reason why they're failing. You have ESPN every third or fourth weekend. Who they show on TV? 
jerseys. Come on, guys. There are 30 other teams in the league. Excuse me, I don't think so. Why are you doing this? Why are you acting like this? And you know, you know, you know you can't survive on two teams. We will see. Other news and notes. Thank you for the, uh, uh, so far today. I, I really had to get, out, uh, baseball off my, um, because it was just getting too crazy. The Phoenix Suns sweep Denver. I, I wasn't too impressed with Denver in the first place. But Chris Ball really impressed me at his age. He gets 37 points, 79. As the Phoenix Suns sweep the Denver Nuggets and wait for the the Clippers Jazz playoffs and they can be waiting for a while because I think going seven games and they can be going for a while I think it, it, it might be the first time that things We'll be going to the Western Government Bible in about 10 or 15 years. Sad news, sad news. Uh, Jim Muscat ran. I love this guy when he was the old days. Best is 82 years old. Jim Muscat ran. Who won the World Series with the Minnesota Twins and years later wins the World Series with the Oakland A's in their multi-colored uniforms. Oh, speaking of uniforms, let me, let me go back to baseball again. No team in baseball should be wearing dark or drugs or black uniforms at home. What are you doing? You're the home team. You're the baseball, softball uniforms. Come on, stop it. You wear white or yellow or orange. That's it. No more dark blue or Maybe you're stop it. You're the home team. Congratulations to the AT&T North Carolina A&T track team. They get a few NCAA titles. Randolph Ross gets a 400 meters. And the team relays. Congratulations to A&T, the Aggies rise. My dad's school, by the way. Over the weekend, SIU, and they do this every 
they go again to a Chicago club, St. Louis in St. Louis. My last weekend was the SIU trip to Chicago. We saw a sea of maroon and white in the stands. Salukis. I had to give a plug out to my dogs. If you don't know what a Saluki is, look it up. It's S-A-L-U-K-I. But I was going over this. It's a dog. The Roman Egyptian king. It was a guard dog. And the Saluki was the fastest dog in the West in the world. Only second to the ground. So. Congratulations to my Salukis, as they get three NCAA titles this past weekend. We got we got a 919 in the mix.
Maybe I got to change. And I got to change that they're forced to change. Also, you can me out on my show on Saturday afternoon at 1, Pacific Ford East, and Sunday, the music show. And we go to that. The music show at Sunday at 4, Pacific 7 in the East. We just ended the the... Big, big musical tournament with the men's division. We got down to the final four. And tomorrow night will be the last, last show of the musical tournament. This summer we will have a disabled musical concert. Which includes the Wonder, Ray Charles, etc., etc., Danny Vindegrass. That's where we're going to go at the, at the end, the middle of, of July. We're going to do a disabled concert. With all disabled artists like that. I hope you enjoy that. I, I know we got, I know we got deviated in there and, 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 and Mr. Ray, Sir Ray, they'll be leading us off in July. We are 646 727 I like to thank LA Badger for letting me come on the air and read about baseball. I hope I didn't talk your ears off. But baseball needs to clean up his house. Needs to clean up his house. It's an embarrassment to sports. When you when you uh, are cheating. And knowing you are cheating and getting away with it. I'm going to see if LA's around, see if we can get, 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 get it here. Hold on. Institution fellow John Hudak, who is a voice that we've used quite a bit on this issue, is very poignant in his thought process about uh, guns. John, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me back. So, John, let's talk about New Zealand, I guess, and the Prime Minister and her actions. It's so different from the reaction here. Why is there such a polar opposite reaction with the government in New Zealand versus here, first of all? Well, first off, in New Zealand, you don't have a culture that in some areas is just constructed around guns. And it doesn't, uh, in New Zealand, 
create that sort of scenario that we have here in the United States where there's this idea of an entitlement to any type of weapon in any type of circumstance under any type of circumstances. And I think because of that, it creates this uh, greater shock and this greater call for some kind of solution and a meaningful call for a solution that we just don't have here. Hmm. So the right to bear arms is not uh, something that um, is is a call to action there like it is here. You know, the Second Amendment here, they don't have that there. Exactly. You know, there's this um, near obsession in the United States, um, at least among some, over uh, this, this right and that this idea that the right um, cannot be checked. You know, in this country, we have expectations that the First Amendment, um, right to free speech and peaceful assembly, um, it, that there are limits on that. We understand that there are limits on a variety of rights that we have. But for some, and, and culturally driven by organizations like the NRA, that there is this idea that any infringement, any check, any limitation on an unlimited right to bear arms uh, is this uh, almost uh, intervention with the divine. This is coming between the right that God has granted you uh, and your ability to exercise it. That doesn't exist that way in New Zealand. Well, tell me this. So New Zealand is not alone. Um, you have other countries uh, around the world who don't really uh, have this gun issue. Could you talk to us about some of the other countries that, um, you know, they, they I guess they, because I, I think I was in Switzerland. I know it was in Switzerland. You know, they were talking about when, you know, they have guns, but it's no big uh, call to action, as you say. And, and, and it's meant, the guns are meant in case, basically, of some kind of war or unrest. Is that true? You know, the different uh, expectations and different beliefs around guns vary from uh, place to place around the world. There are certainly places that uh, see the ownership of guns as something used primarily for sport. Um, there are certainly areas, both, both peaceful places and uh, war-torn places, where um, the understanding of guns is for uh, serious personal protection, whether that's from an invading army, whether it's from civil unrest or what have you. Um, but generally, around the world, uh, guns are rare. Um, they are not expected to be part of uh, common society. And there is an expectation that they are used for uh, proper purposes by proper professionals. That isn't the case in the United States, but around the world, that tends to be more the case. So in the United States, there was just recently um, a, a, a bill that passed in the House, which people were surprised. Talk to me about that. Um, you know, we haven't seen gun control legislation. What does that do in a long time? I mean, you know, we, we continue to talk about gun control, gun control, but there has been some, some kind of curb uh, on guns, uh, assault weapons recently. Talk to me about that. The um, legislation that passed the House, H.R. 8, um, was an expansion of background checks for transactions around guns. It tries to close off loopholes over, over who is subject to a background check given the nature of the transaction. So it extends those background checks uh, to private transactions, for instance, online transactions, um, sales 
skills at gun shows, and and that is an important way uh, to close off avenues that individuals might have uh, to accessing guns uh, when they should not be. Now, it's, of course, not to say that H.R. 8 solve the challenges uh, that exist in this country. There are plenty of people who commit crimes, either large-scale shootings or what is, uh, you know, the, the type of violence that claims far more lives in the United States, and that's interpersonal violence, especially domestic violence involving a gun. Um, they purchase those in legal ways. But what H.R. 8 tries to do is tries to close off avenues, tries to stop people from having certain means of access without claiming to solve the entire gun violence problem in uh, the country. And universal background checks are something that are nearly universally supported among the American public. Well, this has been an issue for a very long time because I was hearing uh, these issues as it relates to uh, the gun shows and things of that nature. Um, how big is this loophole issue? You know, the loophole issue is uh, significant. Uh, there are uh, quite a few guns that are purchased at uh, gun shows. Uh, there are a lot of other types of private transactions for firearms. And the problem is not simply who is purchasing the gun, but the purpose for which they are purchasing the gun. Uh, when you're not having background checks, uh, you can allow um, a variety of people who either want to use firearms directly um, or who want to then peddle firearms illegally uh, to do so. And I think in our society, people who want to commit gun violence are going to find ways to commit gun violence. And... Uh, simply having background checks is not a solution. But any way that we can make it harder for individuals who want to commit acts of violence to do so gives police more time to uh, find them. It gives family members or friends more time to, uh, you know, call the police and say, I, I think I, ha I know someone who's looking to commit an act of violence. Uh, and while we have a gun violence epidemic in the United States, um, I think one of the uh, understated uh, actions that happens here are people preventing gun violence because they are seeing online or they're listening within their family what people are talking about. And when you have people like that, if you have one extra day or two extra days to prevent that, that can be a good thing. Hmm. So as it relates to the gun situation and the legislation that just happened, um, do you expect the Senate to pass it and the president could possibly, if it does, the president could have a second veto, correct? Uh, I do not think the Senate is going to pass this legislation. Um, anything that uh, has to do with a, uh, the uh, gun control in this country uh, is something that the Republican Party is allergic to. Uh, I don't see Mitch McConnell bringing something up for a vote, particularly um, as he enters re-election uh, next year in Kentucky. Uh, this is something that is likely dead on arrival in the Senate, even if it could get a majority of support within the Senate. Mm -hmm. Wow. So at the, at the end of the day, where are we um, with this president, the NRA, and the Republicans on the Hill as it relates to gun control? Well, this president Republic, and Republicans on the um, Hill are wholly owned subsidiaries of the NRA. It's as simple as that. What the NRA wants, um, this president and uh, this Republican 
Senate and other Republicans in Congress will do. Um, the threat that Republicans perceive the NRA playing uh, in Republican Party politics is too overwhelming to allow Republican uh, representatives to respond to the public will. What happened to that debate? You know, after we the Parkland issue, what happened to that that debate about teachers in the schoolhouse carrying guns? I mean, that is just you can't police with that. You can't. You, it's just a crazy thing. Where are we with that 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 proposal? That proposal is dead in the water as well. You know, I think um, we expect a lot out of our teachers. Um, we don't pay our teachers enough. We expect teachers to educate and babysit and discipline and be psychologists and social workers and do a lot of things uh, without having the respect in some places even to pay them a living wage. But when we then ask them to be police officers and first responders, um, I think for most that's a bridge too far. And, and frankly, um, you know, I think all of us uh, can think back to our days in school and know uh, one or two or a handful of teachers who would be the last people on earth you would want to have a gun in a classroom. Uh, and I think when you have a rigorous uh, training regimen for most other professionals in our society who are charged with carrying a firearm, why you would then extend that um, to the classroom uh, is something that is very difficult for a lot of people to understand. So at the end of the day, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, what does the issue of guns in your opinion look like versus uh, the rest of the world? And will it get worse before it gets better? In the United States, we, we have some evidence that uh, there will be stronger gun control in the future when we simply look at opinions about gun control uh, based on age demographics. Uh, older people are more supportive of, uh, you know, a, an, an essentially unfettered right to bear arms, and younger people are much more vocal about supporting not just universal background checks, but more extensive uh, types of gun control. Now, people can change their mind over time. Uh, and what millennials think now may be different than what millennials think in 20 years. Uh, but I think that the future would suggest uh, that, or I mean, it, it, those numbers would suggest that the future has in store uh, some level of increased gun control. Mm. In increased gun control. It only takes people with a heart for it to make it happen, though, however. That's right. Yeah, and the question is, where is the heart right now? Yep. Um, <laughs> where is the heart? And I mean, it's this is something that's not just in urban America. It's not just something that's now in uh, rural America. It's not just something in one community versus another community. It's everywhere. But you know, before I let you go, um, the face of gun control, I mean, the gun owner, excuse me, John, before I let you go, the face of the gun owner is now being publicized in a different way, especially with Parkland and all of these schoolhouse shootings and, and all of these uh, mass shootings that we've been reporting on uh, in this nation. They're now putting a face on black people and, and, and younger people who want to go to, to um, shoot for sport or shoot for game. Why is that? Why are they putting a different face on than, than the guys, the trappers or whatever, or the people out there in the woods with their guns or just people 
people, these Republicans, to just say they have a right and they're going to use their right? You know, I think uh, the face of a gun owner in America is not something that is uh, unitary, right? There's not one gun owner in America. There are millions of reasonable, safe, well-intentioned gun owners, and they are people who uh, use those firearms to go out and hunt and keep a firearm perhaps in uh, a drawer for self-defense just in case, Uh, but they're not out there trying to commit acts of violence. Then we have another face of America where people do have firearms because they intend to commit acts of violence or act irresponsibly with them in other ways. You know, there are a lot of gun deaths in this country, not because someone grabs a gun and wants to go out and kill someone, but because a gun is left on a table and a child shoots himself or or a friend. Because a gun is available in a household and someone who's suffering from depression decides that that is the solution to their problems. Uh, Gun owners in America and, uh, you know, Perpetrators of gun violence in America also have very different faces uh, when you look around. And so I think it speaks to the idea that the solution in this country is not to get rid of all the guns. Um, But neither is the solution in this country to put our hands in our pockets because the problem is too complex and too diverse. That's true. Well, John Hudak, as always, thank you so much for joining me on the record with April Ryan. It was wonderful to talk about a real serious issue about guns and gun control and just how we have to cope now and in the future with this issue that's um, deadly. Thank you, April. With this week's On the Record, I'm AURN White House correspondent April Ryan. Don't forget to subscribe to On the Record on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. On the Record, a product of American Urban Radio Networks. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I might look like an adult, like a person who could possibly be a parent, but I have no idea how to talk like one. And everyone knows that if you want to be a parent, you have to sound good when you say things like, don't make me turn this car around, or because I said so, or don't make me come back there. I don't even really know what those things mean, but I know that I actually believed my parents when they said them to me. How did they manage to sound so convincing? Here we go. Don't make me come back there. No, that's not tough enough at all. Kids can sense weakness. Don't make me come back there. Ooh, yeah, that's better. In fact, that kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to listen to you practice your dad voice. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUsKids, and the Ad Council. Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Para la familia Mendoza, empezar el día oyendo esto es algo habitual. Por suerte, ir al bosque y terminar el día escuchando esto otro 
es posible. Ese respiro que tu familia necesita está a menos de 90 minutos. El Bosque, más cerca de lo que crees. Entra en descubreelbosque.org y descubre el bosque más cercano. Un mensaje del Servicio Forestal de los Estados Unidos y el App Council. Parece que fue ayer, papá. Me acuerdo cómo lloraba. No yo. Sino lo que había dentro de la casa. Mi primer perrito. No dejaba de chillar hasta que lo sacamos de la caja. ¿Recuerdas cómo brincaba y me lamía la cara? Y yo me reía. <ríe> Ay, cómo nos reíamos. Gracias a ti, mi perro y yo nos volvimos grandes amigos. Casi tan buenos amigos como tú y yo, papá. Nunca se sabe cuáles recuerdos son para siempre. Por eso toma el tiempo y hoy sé un buen papá. Para información marca el 1-877-432-3411 o visítanos en www.fatherhood.com Mensaje del Departamento de Salud y Servicios Humanos de los Estados Unidos y el Ad Council.
sorry Maybe you will be cold Maybe you'll come running back to me, baby From that cruel, cruel world You almost convinced me That you're gonna stick around But everybody knows Almost doesn't count But everybody knows Almost doesn't count
further.
Whenever you're facing doubt, love is gonna work it out. I'm so 